Good morning. We're so glad that you're with us as we celebrate the resurrection together. A lot of us uh, were here this morning earlier. Some of you came back again for, for the second service. That's great. Um, I'm going to actually kind of pick up where Ryan left off this morning, as you'll see in just a few moments. And uh, we're going to talk about the difference that the resurrection should make in our lives. Back in, uh, I think it was March of 1984, a policeman named Robert Cunningham went into uh, Sal's Pizzeria in Yonkers, New York. He went there a lot, and, and uh, Phyllis, Phyllis Penzo waited on him. She'd been a waitress there for like 24 years at that point in time. And he got done eating his meal, and at the end of his meal, he said to her, he says, look, I'll make you a deal. Instead of giving you a tip today, I have this lottery ticket here, and if you'll help me pick out the numbers, I'll go ahead and I'll just split whatever winnings that I get with you. And she says, oh, yeah, that's okay. I'll go ahead and do that. And, and so they did that. Well, it was on April Fool's Day in 1984. She's at home asleep, and she gets this phone call, or the officer gets the phone call from, or no, she gets the phone call from the officer, and he's like, hey, look, we just won a $6 million jackpot. And she's like, no way. You're kidding me. This is April Fool's, right? This is a joke. And so he goes on to explain, he finally convinced her that, yes, they really did have this jackpot. They really were going to split it. And, and the officer, who at that time made $30,000 a year, he was true to his word. He went ahead and he split the jackpot with her. And for both of them, that was certainly some news that seemed too good to be true, right? And, and some of you might be familiar with that story. It's a story that became the basis for a 1991 film it was called It Could Happen to You, starring Nicolas Cage and Bridget Fonda. And maybe some of you saw it now. Obviously, the movie took a lot of liberties with the story, as they usually do. But it was. It was news. It was, it was just too good to be true. And we live in a world that sometimes we have news that's too good to be true, right? And most of us have become kind of skeptical about that. As a matter of fact, if, somebody, if you get this email claiming that... Uh, there's this large inheritance that this person you don't know wants to give to you, but they just need a little money to make sure they can get that out of their country. You might think that that's too good to be true. Or, or maybe there's some investment opportunity. They promise you get these great returns, no risk whatsoever. And, and so a lot of us live by the motto, if it sounds too good to be true, it's what? Too good to be true. And a lot of times, that's a really wise motto to live by. And, and as we're going to see this morning, that could even happen when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. That some of you might think that that is news that's too good to be true. And if you did, you would be in good company because the disciples who first saw the risen Jesus, they thought it was too good to be true, as we're going to see this morning. So as I mentioned earlier, Ryan began this morning uh, talking about this trip that these two disciples had on the road to Emmaus, a guy named Cleopas and, and some other unnamed disciple. And, and after they had this encounter with Jesus, it says that they went the seven miles back to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, they go and they meet with the rest of the disciples that are there. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. If not, you can... Uh, just read on the screen and follow along there. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. So it kind of picks up the story from where Ryan left off earlier. As they were talking about these things, this whole group now, that's the, 
the two disciples from the road to Emmaus. Tells us there were 11 of the apostles there, and there were some other disciples there too. So we don't know exactly how many people. But as they were talking about these things, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus comes here, and they're in this room. They're in a locked room. They're afraid of the, the, the Roman authorities. They're afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. So they've hidden themselves away, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears in their midst. It says they were frightened and startled. I think so, right? I mean, I would be. And it's, he says, hey, look, it's me. It's Jesus. He says, go ahead, touch my hands, touch my feet. They thought they saw a ghost. He said, but a ghost doesn't have flesh. And so they were startled. And we come to verse 41. This is one of my favorite phrases, I think, in the entire scriptures. It's one we don't see anywhere else. It says this, and they disbelieved for joy. Now, doesn't that sound like kind of a contradiction? How do you have joy and disbelieve at the same time? But, but the more you think about it, the more that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, they saw Jesus there. They were happy he was there, but it was too good to, to be true. It couldn't be Jesus there, could it? But it was. It was Jesus there. And so it says that they disbelieved for joy. And I think all of us could kind of relate to that. Let's, let's say that, that you were in your home one day, and all of a sudden somebody that you love very much, somebody who had passed away, they showed up in your house. I think you would disbelieve for joy, right? You'd be so happy to see them, but at the same time, you would have to say, well, this can't really be real, can it? And that's where these, that's where these disciples are. They, it says they disbelieve for joy. It's, it's as if this was too good to be true. And that leads us to the main idea that I want us to take away from this passage today, and that is this, that the gospel is nearly too good to be true news that the gospel is nearly too good to be true news. Now, if I just left the blanks blank there and said the gospel is good news, we'd say, yeah, that's right. We've heard that before, right? The gospel is good news. But it's more than that. It's, it's so good that it's nearly too good to be true, but it is true nonetheless. And Jesus is about to prove that to the disciples. 
You know, they're frightened. He's already showed them his, his body, his hands, and his feet. And they still don't believe. So Jesus asks a really interesting question to them. Not the one we'd expect, right? He doesn't scold them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't call them stupid. He says, do you have anything to eat? Now, why would you ask that? There's a good reason for it. Because what does Jesus do? He takes this piece of broiled fish, and he eats it. And he says to him, you guys think you saw a ghost, but ghosts don't eat broiled fish. He's trying to show them that, that this is a real physical body before them. And we don't know exactly what that body looked like. We know that it was recognizable in some form. They, they finally got to understood it was Jesus. He had hands. He had feet. We know that. But it was also different than the body he had here on earth, right? Apparently now it could just walk through walls and show up wherever he wanted to. But it was a physical resurrected body. But whatever that body lo- looked like, the point Jesus is making it here is, It's me. This is real. The resurrection is real. It might seem too good to be true, but it is true. Now, I began by saying that the gospel is nearly too good to be true news. And we use the gospel a lot, right? We throw it around as this kind of theological word. But it's important that we understand what it means. In in Greek, it literally means something like good message or good news. But the word was almost never used in classical Greek writing. And the reason for it is because it really has a deeper meaning than just good news. It means news that is nearly too good to be true. And in the Roman world of, of Jesus' day and in our world today, there's not much news like that, right? We don't have much news that's nearly too good to be true like that. And so the gospel is something that 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 that, that we're to proclaim, that we're to share, and we talk about that a lot, but it's If you think about it, it is really nearly too good to be true. And that might, there might be two groups of people here that I want to speak to today when it comes to this gospel. First of all, there may be some of you here, there's probably a lot of you here, who have put your faith in Jesus. But the danger we run is that the gospel can become so familiar to us that we lose our sense of wonder and awe at that. You know, we read these stories. We've read the story, like Ryan said this morning, of the resurrection since we were little kids. We know the story front and back. And sometimes I think we can just lose our sense of all. We don't recognize just how good a news this is. And then there's a second group of you that might really think this is too good to be true, that no one could possibly rise from the dead. But that's why Jesus appears to all these different people. As Ryan said earlier, it's not the empty tomb that proves the resurrection. It's all these appearances that Jesus has to these disciples and the other appearances there. And so I'm going to speak to both of you groups this morning. And what I want you to do is to hopefully that this message, this passage that we're going to look at, it will speak to your heart in one way or another, regardless of which of those two groups that you're in. So I want to use our remaining time to talk about how it is that we can make sure that we don't miss this news that's nearly too good to be true. I'm going to share three things with you this morning, three simple things that we can do to make sure we don't miss out on this news. The first thing is that we have to look for Jesus in his word. Not surprising, right? What does Jesus do? 
he does the same thing with this group of disciples that he'd done with Cleopas and the other disciple who had accompanied on him on the road to Emmaus. What does he do? He opens up the scriptures. He talks about the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's, that's the Jews to them. That was the, the scriptures that we call the Old Testament now. But that was the only scriptures they had back then. None of the New Testament had obviously been written the day of the resurrection. And so he goes back through these scriptures and he shows them. He says, yeah, this, this was all written about me. It, it, it told you that I was going to come and that I was going to die on a cross and I was going to be raised from the dead on the third day so that your sins could be forgiven, so you could have a relationship with God. And so he takes them through his word. And today we still find Jesus in his word, don't we? Now, fortunately for us, we have the New Testament too. And as we read it, we also have an advantage that those disciples didn't yet have. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells permanently in our lives and helps us to understand this word when we read it. It helps us to see Jesus, not only in the, in the New Testament scriptures, but in the Old Testament scriptures. There's a well-known pastor that uh, just a couple of years ago talked about the fact that as, as Bible-believing Christians, we needed to unhitch from the Old Testament. Nothing could be further from the truth. We ought to embrace the Old Testament because if we really see it, through the eyes of Jesus, we'll see Jesus all throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. And as I said, we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about what the Holy Spirit was going to do for us. In John chapter 14, here's what Jesus said. He said, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, the Holy Spirit can do that however he wants, but what I find most of the time is, he does it through God's Word, right? It's not like you can just walk around on the street and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to help you remember the words of Jesus. He could do that. But most of the time what it takes is being in God's Word and looking for Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. And the more that we do that, the more that we understand that this good news that seems nearly too good to be true is true indeed. Second, second thing we need to do, we need to look for Jesus in our world. We talked a lot about this on Monday morning, and, and this passage doesn't specifically talk about this, but I think it's really important. You know, none of us have ever seen Jesus face-to-face, -face, right? I know I haven't. Maybe somebody has, but I doubt it. But we have this need in our lives to, to experience the physical, things that we can touch, things that we can see. We have this need to experience emotions. And... A lot of times the way that happens is, is in the things that we see around us in this world. We see the hand of Jesus all around us. We've used this example before, but, but you can't really see the wind, but you can see what it does, right? You can see it blowing the trees around and stuff. Well, the same thing is true with Jesus. We can't physically see him, but we can see him all around us in the world. We can see him in the people around us, can't we? Man, I... I know experiencing the, the, the birth of my two children, I mean, if you've ever witnessed the miracle of childbirth and you don't see the hand of Jesus in that, there's something wrong with you. That's a miracle. That could only happen by the hand of God. And I'm thankful for all the people in my life that I see God working in their lives every day. I see it in my wife, in my children, in my grandchildren. Many of you, I see the hand of Jesus working, and I get to experience him that way. 
for some of us, we experience Jesus in nature, right? I know I do. I mean, every time it rains and you see a rainbow in the sky, I'm reminded of the fact that God said, I'm going to put that in the sky as a sign that I will never again flood the earth. Or maybe you see one of these beautiful sunsets. And, and I try to take pictures of these sunsets, and I don't, I don't care how expensive of a camera you have. You can't really capture the beauty that God has created out there, right? And you see the hand of Jesus in that. For some of us, it's, you know, we talked about this. You go out in the desert and you see the complex interactions of all the animals and plants and everything there, and you know this didn't just happen by accident, that the hand of Jesus has to be involved in that. Or Mary and I, we have a telescope. We like to go out and look, and you see these galaxies that are hundreds of millions of light years away. And you realize the immenseness of who God is, so we can experience God in nature. We can also experience the hand of of Jesus and the events that are going on all around us. I mean, there are some things in this world that happen that just can't be explained any other way than to say that Jesus had his hand in that, right? We've all seen those things. And when we see the hand of Jesus in those things, we understand he has to be alive in order to be working through all the people and the nature and the events that we see around us. And that good news that seems nearly too good to be true, we realize that it's true after all. One last thing. That is, we don't want to keep the gospel to ourselves. We've talked about this before, that that as those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not to be reservoirs. We're not to just store all this up for ourselves. We're to be more like pipes or conduits. We're to take the gospel and, and, and take it to other people. And that's exactly what Jesus tells them here. He says, look, you guys are eyewitnesses of me. Now I'm going to send you out into the whole world. You're going to start right here in Jerusalem but I'm going to send you to the whole world so you can proclaim what you've seen here today. And even though we haven't seen Jesus face to face, God does the same thing with us. He tells us to go and to proclaim the good news, to proclaim this news that's nearly too good to be true, but it is true nonetheless. He also tells him here, and this is really important, he says, I'm not going to leave you just on your own to do that. He says, wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who's going to empower you. He'll give you the words that you need to speak. He'll give you the boldness that you need. And we have the same thing. When we go and we proclaim the words of Jesus, we don't have to do that alone either. So I hope you see this morning why we've seen that the gospel is nearly too good to be true news. But it's true nonetheless. So as I close, let me speak to the two groups of people that I, that I addressed before. It's possible there are some of you here this morning who have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Maybe you just said, you know, I I get it. I was with with you at one time. I mean, there's a lot about the gospel that seems too good to be true, right? And there's some things that I'm with you. I can see how you don't understand that. Maybe you don't understand why you even need a Savior. I mean, most of us think we're pretty good people, right? But the Bible says that every one of us has fallen short of God's standard. We've done that at some point. And let's say you were good enough. I guarantee you there's no one in this room that falls in this category. But let's say you were good enough that you'd only done that one time. Only one time, right? You can't do that. But let's say that was possible. God is so holy that he still couldn't let you in 
to heaven because that's a holy place and he's a holy God. So even though you might think you're really good, you might think you don't need a Savior, the fact is you do. I can understand why you think that. I can understand why you would maybe not believe that the way that you get made right with God is because a man named Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and then God raised him from the dead three days later. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, frankly, does it? And I can understand why you might not believe that, why that might be too good to be true. I can understand why you might not believe that you can't work your way into God's favor. We live in a world that tells us, bring yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, be self-sufficient. And so when we're told that the only way we can be made right with God is through what Jesus did for us, I can understand why you don't believe that. I can even understand why you might be skeptical about the resurrection itself, because none of us have ever seen that before, right? We're dependent on these eyewitnesses who have put down their accounts in the words of Scripture But I'll tell you this, the reason I believe them is because every one of these people, almost every one of these people, they authenticated the gospel with their own blood. You know, you might tell a lie for a while. You might might even convince others of a lie for a while. But when it comes down to, to dying for that lie, there's not too many of us willing to do that, alone the number of people that did that who gave their lives for Jesus, holding on to the fact that the resurrection was real. And so if that describes you, if you're in that, in that group, I just want to say to you this morning that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you so that you could have a relationship with him. And that the way that you appropriate that, the way that you receive that gift is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, that's a really important decision. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. It's more important than where you're going to go to school. It's more important than who you're going to marry. It's more important than what you're going to eat for lunch this afternoon. And so we don't want to just like kind of rush you into some decision. We want to make sure that you totally understand that. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. But I do want to let you know that we would love to talk to you more about how you can have that relationship with Jesus, how you can put your faith, and your trust in Him. And there are several ways you can let us know that, that, that you would like to talk more about that. I'll be here after the service. Ryan will. We're really pretty nice guys. I know we don't look like it. We're pretty nice guys. We'd be happy to talk to you about Jesus. Our elders would be love to talk to you about Jesus. You'll find all their contact information in the bulletin. You can email them. There's a, you can fill out a connection card. There's a tan card in the chairs in front of you. If you're joining us here in person, it says next steps in a little box that you can check. There's going to be a QR code that will come up on the screen after the message. You can, click, you can scan that with your smartphone and fill out a little form. If you're joining us online, there's a form there that you can fill out. It says connection card. And I can guarantee you this, that if you contact us in any one of those ways, we will be in touch with you no later than tomorrow because we would love to talk with you about Jesus. Now, the other group are those of you who have put your faith in Jesus already, and that's probably most of you. So what I want to urge you to do is to make sure that you don't lose your sense of awe and wonder and excitement over this news that's nearly too good to be true. That you don't just take it for granted. 
And we've talked a lot in the past about this need to be, quote, re-gospeled, right? That every day I need to remind myself of how much Jesus loves me, of what he gave, the cost that he paid so that I can have a relationship with him. And that is not something that we should ever take for granted. So if you're starting to take that for granted, man, you need to pray and ask Jesus to help you not to do that. To be to have that sense of awe and wonder about this whole idea of the resurrection that we're celebrating today. You see, the gospel is nearly too good to be true news, but it is true nonetheless. And it is true that Jesus wants to use that gospel to change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus. Father, it's amazing to think of what he went through on our behalf. And to know that he's alive right now at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. Father, that's amazing news. Help us never to lose our sense of awe and wonder at that. I want to especially pray for anyone here today who's never given their life to Jesus, never put their faith in him. I pray that today they would make that decision, that they would let Jesus change their life. Pray that in his name.